Ramble. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about Spot Pet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with Spot Pet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Welcome to today's episode of Rotten Mango. Did that sound good? Did that sound kind of sexy? Any of those? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> he said no. I'm just going to dig right in. Dive right in. Dig right in. Dig right in. <laughs> dig right in. Because mm-hmm. this one is interesting. I noticed a pattern in the past couple of episodes. And I was like, you know what? How did I not realize that this is something that I am gravitating towards? This is something that I am somewhat intrigued by in a way that I didn't even notice until maybe like last week. If you guys haven't noticed, recently we've done a lot of serial killer couples. We started with Fred and Rosemary West. They um, had like this little house of horrors where they would kill their own children and other people who would come into that house. And then we talked about Myra Henley and Ian Brady. And that was a very different story, whereas um, it was just weird. That one was weird. It was weird and twisted. They had this inspiration from a book called 120 Days of Sodomy, which is about four wealthy dudes who decide to um, just rape like 70 kids. It's a book. It's fictional, right? So that was just very, very interesting. Now, I thought to myself, what is it about these serial killer couples that I'm intrigued by? And I think it has something to do with the fact that when you have one serial killer, and I'm not saying that they're more prolific or like on a scale of one through 10, which one's more interesting, but serial killer couples are just weird. You know, how do you categorize this? Why am I intrigued by this? Am I literally sitting here thinking to myself like hashtag relationship goals, hashtag couple goals? What is the reason behind my fascination with these serial killer couples? So I decided to dig deep into the psychology. Sorry, my fiance just got a text from his other girlfriend. I'm kidding. That was a really (laughs) sassy comment. So um, I was thinking to myself, you know, why? So I went in and I Googled all the psychology behind serial killer couples. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to find out that there was not as much 
information as I thought there would be. I even went on to like the academic side. I went on to like the academic, you know, little projects that they've done, these little studies that they've done. Mm-hmm. I almost fell asleep during reading one of them, but it was just really intense. There now, is academic. Yeah, there. about psychology behind two psychopaths who decide to kill together, like psychopathic huh. duos. And it just gets really interesting. Now, I want to say that this, I didn't get as deep as I wanted to. <laughs> it wasn't as deep as I'd like it to be but I did try my best so I'm I feel like I'm just bracing the surface I feel like I need to penetrate deeper to really get a full understanding of this but this is the psychology that I could find so far about couples who kill together and at first before going into it I was like you know what it's kind of like a cult like that's what it's gonna be like it's gonna be like a cult like one of them is stronger one of them's the leader what the other one is like just this vulnerable person who was at a weak state in their life they get swept up into this little romance and maybe maybe could they even be considered victims maybe maybe not right Mm -hmm. and I'm not talking about couples who one of them was kidnapped. Like if you've got someone and they kidnap someone else and suddenly they go on recruiting other people and kidnapping other people with that person, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily consider that a serial killer couple. Because, I mean, yeah. one of them's a victim, obviously, right? Or so, was in that Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then became an abuser because of, I guess, survival. I mean, I don't think that they would want to do that to other people. Now, my main question was, in order to be... P- part of a duo who kills together uh-huh. wouldn't they both have to be psych- like psychopaths or sociopaths is yeah. it possible that only one of them is a psychopath and the other one is a normal person because when you look at all these stories i just think to myself there's absolutely no way there's no way the d is that good that i go on killing people like it's just it's not gonna happen i don't care what you say right yeah. so then i'm like okay but if they're both psychopaths how do they love each other sure one of them doesn't have to love one of them like let's say there's a leader right and wait why why say, can they love each other if they're both psychopath because they psychopaths psychopath. they cannot emotionally attach oh. so they usually can cognitively love someone but they can't emotionally love someone so huh. in real life psychopaths are actually not that dangerous um i know it sounds crazy because a lot of the times when we talk about psychopaths we're like they're all serial killers right uh-huh. but um a lot of the times they're just normal people they can't emotionally attach but they can cognitively attach which means that their brain understands oh this is a relationship that i'm in so i should feel this type of way or i should do these activities mm. so it's more of like a logical relationship right i will say though that um Um, There are two different types of psychopaths. So this is where the research gets a little bit interesting because I was like, do they even love each other? Sure. Mm -hmm. If like the leader of the duo, they don't love the other person and they just want them to help them kill. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But what about the person that will do anything for this person? That's got to be love, right? So there's two different types of psychopaths. Mm -hmm. So there's categories. So the first one is a primary psychopath. And this is kind of what we think of, um, like what you, your definition of a psychopath. So they're really big narcissist. They have um, very, very low empathy. They're incredibly manipulative. They have a lack of fear. They're very, very arrogant. 
and they cannot emotionally attach. However, however, they can mirror empathy, so they can see people's the, their reaction to empathy,、uh-huh. and they can kind of follow in those footsteps. That's why psychopaths are so hard to just kind of pinpoint in public because you, they smile just like you and I.、Mm-hmm. They um they do everything just like us. They、yep. have superficial charm. They do have like this grandiose sense of worth. They're very cunning. They're usually considered pathological liars. They also have what's called a shallow effect, which means they feel emotions, but on an incredibly superficial level. They also have no response to any punishment, fear, or stress. So、hmm. these people are considered incredibly low anxiety, low fear, and low emotion. They just they don't, don't have anxiety. No. What? I'm so jealous, honestly, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they don't feel anxiety. Now, secondary psychopaths are what you consider. I, I guess, like people would consider these sociopaths. Okay. Right, and primary psychopaths seems more from the research I could do, and I don't want to say that this is set in stone because I am actually really, really into this, and I want to dig even deeper. But primary so psychopaths, they said that it's kind of a mixture of more genes, more genetics,、uh-huh. and a little bit of environment. Whereas sociopath seems to be a little bit of genes and a lot of environment, and so a lot of serial killers fall into this. Category of sociopaths. So the secondary and psychopath. And it's more environmental. Yeah. So lots of abuse as a kid.、Mm. So they already had this in their genetics, and then something triggered it when they were young, and it keeps getting triggered, and now it's just kind of like their behavior mode.、Mm-hmm. So th- these are people who have capacity for emotional attachment. That's why you see a lot of serial killers who also have significant others, like BTK. He had a wife. He had a kid. His kid, his daughter, thought he was the best dad ever. Wait, so they have strong emotional attachment? Um, not strong, but they have the capacity for、oh, okay. it. Okay. So it's probably not going to be as strong as like um someone who doesn't have you know this、yeah. diagnosis, but they can still feel guilt, they feel love, they feel remorse. They <laughs> also tend to have higher levels of anxiety and fear, and some of them might actually have more levels of anxiety and fear than a regular person. They feel anxious. They have this incredible fear of abandonment, avoidance. They're impulsive. They have irresponsible behavior, and they're react. Actively angry, so more than primary psychopaths, you'll actually see secondary psychopaths getting in trouble with the law way more frequently, because primary psychopaths they are more manipulative. They kind of plan things ahead of time if they are trying to, you know. Commit crimes. They、mm. plan things accordingly. They're really not emotion based. Like if you cut them off in traffic, they're not the type to be like, "I'm gonna go home and kill that person." You know, they're the type that's like, "I'm gonna stalk them and then slowly figure out their routine and、uh-huh. then figure out when's the best time for me to strike." Whereas secondary psychopaths, I mean, they're just so emotional. A- emotional.、Mm. They have very poor behavior control. They cannot accept responsibility.、Um, you'll see that they have this common thread of many short term marriages. And promiscuous sexual behavior—that's what all of these academic studies said. I'm not saying that if you are a promiscuous Carl Bates, that you are、um, a secondary psychopath. <laughs> You're not.、Um, they tend to live kind of like a parasitic lifestyle, so they like to mooch off of people. They're—they're they're very negative. They're just. They're just very volatile. They're, like they're the type of people that you just don't know what their emotions going to be one second from the next.、Mm. So typically, with these serial killer couples, you have a combination of both. A、oh, one of each. One of each. So you have kind of maybe the leader of it, who's a primary soci- psychopath, who just wants to really do these very. 
scary things like murder people and then you have the secondary one who they have their own demons and they have this massive fear of abandonment they're anxious they're fearful you know they have poor behavior control so like if this person this primary psychopath is like hey listen we're gonna go kill this fucker they're like i mean okay i guess you know and they're it's it's very interesting a lot of them tend to be sex motivated apparently and i don't know i feel like that's like really unwoke to say because that has nothing to do with psychopathic tendencies but it's just one of their you know yeah things people have noticed yeah yeah exactly so it's kind of interesting yeah that's what i was thinking too like for a couple to commit these crazy crimes, it yeah. seems like they all started something with Sex. their sexual experiments. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. they're like, what if we do this to jazz things up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So then there's actually categories of killer couples that I could figure out, right? And so then the first category is a bad person coerces a good-hearted person to murder someone. Now, this one is going to be less known because it typically happens in cults. Mm. So it's really hard to do with just a two-person cult because when you're talking about a cult, there's like this effect of having so many people believe in one person. It's like a religion. All of these things. There's brainwashing. If you Mm -hmm. even think about going a different path, you have like, tens of people to t- convince you otherwise mm-hmm. and then you're thinking you know if this entire group believes this then how can i say it's not true mm-hmm. so this is actually the very rare version of killer couples is that one bad person somehow brainwashes a genuine good-hearted yet vulnerable person to commit murder with them mm. and typically with this type of couple you're not going to see like serial killings you're probably going to see like a one-time murder and that one-time murder is motivated by either maybe money maybe insurance money all of these other things but it's not going to be like we're going to go and kill a bunch of people now the second thing is you've got a bad person who persuades a fake good person into becoming a bad person with them so that means the fake good person is probably somewhere along the lines of a a sociopath like a secondary psychopath they're not necessarily going to be exactly what you imagine to be a psychopath but they have their own demons whether they just have this crazy fear of abandonment or this selfish need to be loved by this person whatever Uh it is they are not really a good person but from the outside they seem like a much better person than the first person the bad person right and comparison also helps but the first bad person is also so good at hiding it isn't it yeah but you're saying just yeah but they're yeah. like real bad you know okay. and so it's kind of like one is more convincing the other person mm-hmm. like one party is more like hey let's try doing this more than the other party mm-hmm. so a version of that would be colleen stand the girl in the box and i'm this this story i mean i would say that i got into this the research of this maybe three years ago when I first started my YouTube channel for true crime. Mm -hmm. It's really intense. So she's known as the girl in the box. And the reason that this is so fascinating, um, not in like a cool way, but just a psychology way, right? Is that there's just so much to it that is very confusing. So Colleen Stan, she was 20 years old. Yeah, I'm about to get into a full story, guys. So buckle up. This is not like a short little anecdote. This is a full on story. Okay. so Colleen Stan, she was 20 years old and she was hitchhiking from Oregon to Northern California. So she had made it all the way from Oregon and she had entered the state of California and she Uh was trying to go to like a friend's birthday party. Now, she considered herself an experienced hitchhiker. She was like, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly when it's like a bad ride. You know, cars would come up trying to pick her up and she'd be like, nah, you look sketch. And she would pass out on that offer and she would do this a lot. And, you know, thinking she went from Oregon to California, that's, that's pretty good, right? Without getting killed, that's really, really good. She had pleasant experiences 
and that day that she was in California hitchhiking she had already passed up on like three different rides and most of them were just like a lone male who looked a little bit sketchy or a group of men that looked really sketchy and so she was like you know I'm looking for a specific type of car and that's when a blue van pulls up Mm-hmm. inside of that van there was a guy by the name of cameron hooker and he was 23 years old and then his wife who's 19 janice hooker was in the car and they also had a baby infant in the car which oh, uh, you guys man. already know you already know with the rosemary situation with the west that's how they did it i mean she just felt safe janice looked nice the baby was so cute so she gets into the car now on their way to the next destination that they agreed that they were going to drop her off on they had to get gas and she went into the gas station and went into the bathroom and she said that there was something in her head that was like you better fucking run you better jump out of this gas station bathroom window and run and never look back but but Colleen was like you're insane like they've got a baby Janice looks so nice you know we had some pleasant conversations I don't know what it was I guess that just kind of struck this gut feeling in Colleen but she just toned it down she was like you're going crazy you know they're so nice you're never gonna find a ride like this like they're the sweetest people all these other people are like just dudes in cars no this is gonna be good so she calmed down she went back to the car and they started driving to an isolated area and they pulled off the highway and she had a knife put to her throat by Cameron and he decided in that moment he brought out this box I think you're gonna remember this story I know it was like three years ago but babe I think you're gonna remember it the minute that I start talking about this this was a locked wooden head box it was gonna prevent Mm. light sound and fresh air from entering so you're talking like sensory deprivation and her head was locked into it like a head cage and so she's laying there and by the way like imagine how heavy this is this is not even like a helmet she if she's laying down in the back of the car seat she physically can't get up because her neck can not support the weight of that box right Mm -hmm. and so they drive her home they take her into the basement at janice's house so the wife's house right Uh now what she didn't know and what we later find out is that cameron was actually a lumber mill worker and he had this really intense bondage fantasy and during the time that he was married to janice he just would do all of these crazy things to her he would submerge her in water so he would drown her and then i guess not drown her and save her allegedly well you can't really save someone that you're killing and then drown her again she nearly died so many times janice his own wife nearly died because of his little fetish right he and would then choke her is it the wife's like why don't we get you someone so they had a deal so oh. he would choke her there were leather handcuffs that she would be suspended from trees in like just hanging in the air which okay i understand bdsm fetishes i get it like there's an appeal like yes spank it and i, I say it because i don't know if sometimes it could be a he or she right or they but i don't understand the suspension theory like i don't i i, I guess i can't even like one percent get into it like i don't think i'd be turned on at all if i just saw someone like hanging in the air yeah i mean yeah it's a little weird <laughs> but I mean, I mean it's common in the bdsm scene and yeah. like a i know all of this sounds illegal but it's it's a very just it's consenting adults anyways so she was like suspended from trees and she still really loved him she was like listen i love you so much i just don't really like hanging around like tarzan from trees butt naked when our neighbors are right there like i just can't do this anymore and she was like i just want a normal life i want to be able to have kids i just want to live normal like that's i want normal sex with you right and so he said okay let's make a deal so they sit down together and janice says listen if i can have a kid with you you can get a sex girl. 
And she wasn't talking like a prostitute. She wasn't talking about an affair. They said, okay, we're going to kidnap someone and we're going to keep her as your sex slave. That's crazy. And so he was like, okay, sounds good. So they make this deal. They shake on it. And she said, but okay, but you can't have vaginal sex with her. Like you can, you can beat her. You can have oral sex with her. You can sodomize her, which means um, in the butt. You can do all of these things, but you can't have vaginal sex with her because that is reserved for your wife, Janice. Like, can you imagine sitting down and talking about things like this? Yeah. Like me, like my fiance and I, we sit there and like negotiate who takes out the trash and who does the dishes. Imagine like negotiating, kidnapping someone. Yeah. I can't even. And so he's like, okay, fine. You can have a kid. So he impregnates her. She gets pregnant. She gives birth to that kid. And now it's her turn to hold up her end of the bargain. So that's why they were driving around looking for people to kidnap so that he could have a sex slave. Jeez. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So that first night, they bring her into the basement and she was suspended in the air by her hands. She was beaten and tortured by Cameron. And then she was later forced to watch. Okay, so she's suspended in the air and there was a bed right um, underneath her. Mm-hmm. And the couple, Cameron and Janice, were just doing it and forced her to be there and watch them while she's just suspended in the air. What kind of sick, nasty torture is this? And so she was locked in that head box for like 23 hours a day. She was only taken out of that box for like an hour a day so that she could be tortured. Now you're thinking, OK, well, why didn't she try to run away? Because it seems like Colleen, she was there for seven years, by the way. There was a lot of chances for Colleen to run away from the outside perspective. However, Ever since she was taken in, she was brainwashed by the couple and they told her that, you know, you have to sign this contract and it was a piece of paper. What in the fucking Fifty Shades of Grey is this? You have to sign this contract and it's pretty much signing your life away into slavery. Now, I'm no attorney. I'm no lawyer. I'm no judge. But I just want to say, like, if you brought that into court, I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, Okay, drop the kidnapping charges, drop the rape charges. She signed her life away into mm-hmm. slavery, right? So she believed that contract binded her? Um, not only the contract, but they said that this contract would not only be upheld in the court of law, but it'd be upheld by a secret organization called oh, yeah, the yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this was a large, powerful organization. Think about how scary it would be if you're like, hey, sign this contract. It's funded by Pizzagate. Like it, you wouldn't you probably wouldn't be like, oh, shut up. Like you're lying. Right. And they would say that if you this house is bugged, by the way, you know, and if you do anything when we're not watching you, you're going to be tortured to death and we know where your family is and we're going to kill them, too. That's what the company does. And so she believed it. They also showed her a picture of a girl by the name of Mary Elizabeth Spanhank. And they said, this is the girl that we kidnapped before you. And she tried to run away. And now she's dead. And they also placed that photo of Mary just like anywhere she could see it. They placed it inside of the box at one point so that she could look at it all day for like 23 hours a day. So imagine like you already and you have to remember just you thinking about it. You in a box right now staring at the picture. You're like, yeah, I guess after some time it could mess with me. Right. But think about your sense of security. Your sense of understanding of the world has just been shattered because you've just been kidnapped and assaulted like you don't you're not in the same mindset as right now of like okay let me put myself in that box right now because you're going to be a completely different person after that trauma and abuse and so she started to believe it she was like holy shit they said that her name was going to be just k just the letter k 
That's what she was going to be referred by, not Colleen, not Stan. She would refer to Cameron as master and she would never do anything without their permission. She wasn't even allowed to talk without his permission. And he got this all from the inspiration of a French erotic novel called The Story of O. We're going to get into that one. But before we get into that, I have a trick question for you. And I know a lot of people are going to get this wrong and that's going to be okay. Do you really know what's in your multivitamin? Like if I ask you this, I was going to say gun to your head, but that just seems inappropriate for a true crime podcast. And I looked at my little multivitamin thing and I realized that there's sugar, there's GMOs, there's synthetic fillers, there's artificial color, there's animal byproducts like sheep's wool and gelatin. I mean, these are all ingredients that you might find in your multivitamin. And that's why I love Ritual. The main thing that I realized when I take Ritual versus other vitamins is that when I was taking my other multivitamin, I would have to take it with food. Otherwise, I would just get these like weird, sensitive like stomach issues and so then to take it in between a meal it would just like throw me off I would forget all the time and it was just a struggle with ritual it's amazing because first of all it's formulated with these key nutrients including vitamin d3 to help fill in the gaps of your diet but they're also really fresh tasting so they have like these mint tablets inside oh my gosh you will never have that weird fish oil taste in your mouth you can take them with or without food it's also clean vegan friendly formula and it's made with key nutrients in forms your body can actually use so there's like no shady extras that are going to be inside of it you also know where all of your nutrients come from because they have a one-of-a-kind visible supply chain like every company should do this no you should know exactly where that's coming from now they're available for women men and teens and they're scientifically developed to help support different life stages my sister's pregnant right now they have this amazing prenatal one that they have and i got my sister on it she loves it and I think especially when you get pregnant you're so conscious of like what you're putting into your body that she's like this is amazing I know exactly where everything is coming from she's a pharmacist too so she's like this is the best thing ever these multivitamins are delivered straight to your door every month with free shipping always you can start snooze or cancel your subscription at any time and if you don't love ritual within your first month they'll refund your first order you deserve to know what's in your multivitamin that's why ritual is offering you guys 10% off your first three months Visit ritual.com slash rotten to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash rotten. So let's talk about the story of O, the French erotic novel. So O, in this fictional book, she's this beautiful photographer. And during this book, she has a journey. She has a journey into the real dark depths of BDSM. And when I say dark depths, I'm not talking like your surface level, like spank me, daddy type of stuff. I'm talking intense, right? This is the book that inspired them. Cameron, yeah. And oh, she's this beautiful photographer. She's taught to be constantly available for oral, vaginal, and anal sex, right? So there's this chateau, this beautiful chateau, a mansion called the Roissy. I don't know how to pronounce it. And it's kind of like this elite club. I'm sure you can find similar videos on the hub, um, but it's like this elite club. And anyone who's wearing this specific ring, they call it the ring of O, is a servant and has to serve any male figure i don't know why there's no female figures but any male figure who is part of this elite males only club right and now the reason that her name is O is because during this entire time she's only referred to as O because it's just dehumanizing she's not a human she's just um an object an orifice are you getting the trend here that's why they decided to call colleen k right and she had this boyfriend who was part of the secret society so he starts kind of bringing her in he was just dating her and then he was like you know 
know what? I want to spank you. And then he was like, you know what? I want to tie you up. And then he was all like, you know what? I want to take you to this gentleman's club. And then she had to be taught how to serve any male from that society without question she didn't have to love that person she didn't have to know this person she just had to like serve this male which you're probably thinking what kind of fucker wrote this book right like what kind of dude wrote this book right Mm -hmm. it's actually written by a female so she was like serving all of these dudes she had her butt branded by a guy by the name of sir steven which was her lover's stepbrother. So her boyfriend's stepbrother was like a alpha male. That's kind of how they like say it in the summary, like an alpha male. Are these books just like normal? Like they sell these at Barnes and Noble or something? <laughs> this was actually banned from a lot of countries, including the UK at one point. So this was back in the day. This was kind of like, I wouldn't say it's as old as 120 Days of Sodom, but it's like an older book. It's not like a Fifty Shades of Grey book. It's a much older book. And there was a lot of just controversy with books like this. So she had her butt branded with Sir Stephen written all over her butt. She had a vagina piercing. So her labia was pierced. And later on, she would actually get like a kind of like a dog tag that was like a like I guess when you know how cows wear those things on their ears kind of like that but for her vagina and she would constantly be whipped I mean it was really intense like she ended up going later on to scout girls now this part's very interesting because a lot of these girls they were repulsed by all of the scars that she had and like the branding she would show them her branding like look at my butt right uh-huh. it's so much fun at the Roissy, the chateau and all of these girls would be so repulsed by it like that's really nasty but oh would be very proud of this she was very proud about her submission about being a sex slave for the chateau and the ending is very interesting because the master steven he threatens to leave her he's like listen i don't think i want to i don't think i want to hang out with you anymore like you're no good to me anymore is that the boyfriend no this is her boyfriend's stepbrother who's like more alpha male or like more dominant i don't know and so he's like i don't think i want to like hang out with you i don't think i want you as my little sex slave anymore and she gets so distraught by this that she asks permission to commit suicide she asks permission to take her own life and he grants it and we don't know if she ends up going through with it but it's just so weird now obviously just like 50 shades of gray this was written by under like a fake name like an alias a lot of authors do that and later on it was exposed maybe like 40 years after it was published that the author was a female which by the way the bdsm community love her they highly regard this author because she took a chance on bdsm before it was like a thing and she made it kind of more like a love story a lot of people the main issue that they had was with the ending a lot of people didn't mind so much like the branding and the whipping because it's like, OK, if you consent to it, that's one thing. Right. But a lot of people took issue with the fact that this seemed not like a healthy consensual relationship of like, I'm going to spank you, but I also love you after I spank you. Right. I mean, he was just like, I'm breaking up with you. And she was like, I'm going to go kill myself, please. Mm-hmm. Right. It just was weird. Does that cross the line or is that still? Okay? I mean, it crossed the line. So there's different variations of the ending. So a different like uh you know how sometimes you can buy books with different endings if you don't like them and so one of them was just like she lived happily ever after just serving the men at the chateau and then another one was like she loved her job and then retired i don't know it's just very interesting and so this is like the most controversial ending was that she wanted to die because he wanted to leave her now the author was female and she confessed that she actually wrote these letters to her lover at the time so the book is written very poetically it doesn't sound like this like raunchy crazy like and then he just like stuck in it you know 
that was really intense. It wasn't like written all raunchy and stuff. It was written kind of poetic. And she said that it was written for her lover. Now, her lover was actually asked about this book in question. Like, how did you feel getting these letters of Mm -hmm. devotion from your lover? And he said, to be killed by someone you love strikes me as the epitome of ecstasy. Oh, boy. And I was like, geez, Jeez. Louise, listen, I have, I mean, kink is one thing. This is something else. I don't know what that is. Like, okay, to spank people, to whip people, fine. Even the branding, I'm like, if that's your thing, that's your thing, right? But then, like, to be killed by someone is the epitome of ecstasy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's sh- I, That doesn't sit right with me. And so this book was actually very influential because even now to this day, there's something called the Ring of O. And it's this ring that a lot of people in the BDSM community wear and they'll wear it to bars. They'll wear it just kind of everywhere because when they're looking for a significant other or a partner, they definitely find that they want someone who is into BDSM because not everyone's into BDSM, right? And so they'll wear this specific ring. And if they wear it on their left hand, that will a lot of the times indicate that they're a bottom, which means they like to be the submissive person. And if they wear it on their right finger, their right hand, it means that they like to be the dominant person, that they like to. Yeah. Is that a certain design of a ring or is it just a ring? I believe so. Because, I mean, if you wear it on your left hand, then it could be just a wedding ring you know right exactly (laughs) you call this ring of o yeah they call it the ring of o and it was inspired by this book because all of the girls in the book that served at the chateau they all wore a ring oh it's do you know have you seen it's like a little ring on top of a ring yeah the ring of o Oh, and then some people will actually wear it around their neck as a collar. And those are obviously the more submissive of the partners. I've actually seen a lot of girls on TikTok wear it. Shut up. Yeah. And it's very interesting because it's not like a regular necklace. You can't take off the necklace without a key and your dominant has the key. So people are like, just take it off. They use that audio a lot. They're like, take it off. And then the submissive is like, I can't take it off. You know, that's TikTok. Yeah, it's on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, that's on TikTok. But it's not as obvious. It's usually more like thin to look like a regular choker almost. It is made out of metal a lot of the times from what I've seen on TikTok. And so it seems like he took a lot of inspiration from this. So the BDSM, obviously the name given to her, K, you know, uh-huh. inspired by O, but also the company. So the Chateau called the Roycey. They had this secret society of people who were very powerful, who had these sex slaves to use at their disposal. And he named it the company. So he had a lot of inspiration from this. Now, he was just kind of getting frustrated because obviously Janice would just not let him have vaginal rape with her. I was going to say vaginal sex, but it's not sex. It's rape, right? And so he was getting frustrated. So he started using these tools to rape her vaginally and um, orally and anally like he would just sodomize it was just really intense and the weirdest thing is that he kind of respected his wife in that aspect that he didn't want to break that vow to his wife that he wouldn't rape someone down there which is crazy because like wow Mm-hmm. you're great Weird. cool yeah it's like people who cheat but are like oh but i told my wife i would never kiss someone you know and it's like but you you're you're cheating mm-hmm. who cares if you don't kiss that person like you're doing so many bad things and he would take out colleen out of that box and he would electrocute her he would burn her he would beat her it was really really bad now later they decided to move into a mobile home 
and they built this coffin and that's why colleen is often referred to as the girl in the box there's actually a documentary called the girl in the box and they made her sleep inside of this wooden box underneath their waterbed yeah and janice ended up getting pregnant with her second kid and janice gave birth on top of that waterbed while colleen was in the box underneath the waterbed it's just weird so constantly there was brainwashing going on to the point where about maybe like a couple years in they actually let colleen go out of the house by herself so she was allowed to work at a job she was allowed to work outside in a yard she would take care of the family's children for a couple hours a day the the kids didn't even know that she lived there. They thought that she was a babysitter. She wasn't allowed to make noise when she was in the box. But when she came out, she was supposed to clean. She was supposed to help build like this bigger underground dungeon for him to gather more slaves later on. She would. Um, it's crazy. A lot of people refer to this as Stockholm syndrome. It's not. A lot of people refer to it. And I think maybe even three years ago, I probably referred to it because I was so uneducated about Stockholm syndrome. Right. Mm-hmm. And she had an open door. It's not like it was locked from the inside. She had um, neighbors. She had a phone that she could easily access, but she never tried to escape. A lot of people consider it Stockholm Syndrome. I feel like it was honestly, and she claims it was because of the company. She was so scared. She even was able to visit her family. So her family started getting concerned about her and the hookers decided, that sounds weird, that's her last name. The hookers decided to bring her to her family to be like, hey, listen, I'm alive. I just like don't want to be with you guys, bye. And so she came and the family believed that she was part of a cult. She had homemade clothes. They had a lack of money. There was no communication from her. She was acting kind of strange. I mean, she seemed happy to see her family, but she was very evasive about all of these questions about where she's been so they were like oh my god she's probably in a cult now during that time cults were really popular so they were like okay here's what we do like there's like there were literally conventions that you go to at the time if your family member was part of a cult and they teach you how to get your family member out of a cult so that's how popular it was so they're like oh yeah like i saw this on the news if your family member's in a cult you can't pressure them too much you can't be like hey what you believe in is dumb or like hey come back and live with us you're like hey we're not gonna let you leave you have to just be chill and they'll open up to you and so that's kind of what they did now the next day she came back right mm-hmm. to see her family and this time she came with cameron hooker and he posed as the boyfriend and the family took a picture of them smiling together this would later be used to try to victim shame the victim wow. because she's smiling and she has her arms around him and it looks like a cute little relationship it looks like how can she voluntarily leave you know she could have just told her family but you have to remember the company was very real in her mind okay yeah. it was a present thing now after this she would end up going back to the box for about another three years 23 hours a day because for some reason cameron was like listen i read the story of O again and i feel like i've given this kid i've given k a little too much a little too much freedom and slaves don't deserve that like he would literally say things like that okay and he would only take her out at night to feed her and torture her and it would be really bad in the summers because that box would get up to like a hundred and degrees inside of the box she wasn't allowed to make a noise nothing and then he was like you know what i'm kind of sick of this like i don't like her being in the box i only get to use her for like an hour a day that's that's shitty you know it's not even enough and so he made this new plan that he was going to reintroduce her to the neighbors and the kids and she she was allowed to take on a job as a maid at a hotel a motel and they would go pick her up after her shift she would make money for the family because cameron wanted her to be the second wife 
he was like, you know what? I don't really see her as a slave anymore. I kind of want her to be my second wife and I can just like become like, I can just grow my wife collection. I don't know. And that's when Janice suddenly had a problem with it. She was like, you know what? After years of thinking about it, I don't think that this is what I want to do. And so Janice claims that this is when she started realizing that what they were doing is bad. Really? Janice? Really? Now? And so then that's when she starts thinking and she's like, you know, since the first date I went on with Cameron, I was tortured. I was brainwashed. I was constantly referred to as whore instead of my name or like as honey or like wife. Right. Mm -hmm. And she said, maybe I put up with this abuse because I was in denial and I was able to carpet compartmentalize all of the abuse in order to survive Mm -hmm. and so she finally tells colleen like listen i know what cameron told you but um we're not part of the company so she still insisted that the company was a real company that existed in the world but they just were not a part of that elite society Mm. so she's like we're just not a part of it and so she was able to help Colleen get to a payphone and she used that payphone to call Cameron and let him know that she's leaving him and he Mm. burst into tears he was like crying and a lot of psychologists analyze this because some people might be like oh my god like he actually grew to love his slave right um no so psychologists say that this is a psychopath showing emotions showing sadness for losing his human toy his human object it's like you're a kid and you get a toy taken away from you you're not crying because you love that toy you're just like upset you're like what the fuck like that's my toy Mm. but he's doing this to a human right and so she catches a bus home now again she did not call 911 for months and this will be used against her in court and this was all at janice's request she wanted to give cameron a chance to reform you know janice the wife was like listen i think he can do better like i think this is gonna give him a nice little shock and he's gonna go back to just being like a nice person and colleen would actually call cameron regularly during the next couple of months i don't know the the discussions that happened in that phone calls i'm not sure it's a little interesting right but that's when three months later janice decides to report to the police everything and it seems like she did this again a lot of people will say a lot of people will say that janice is a victim right Mm -hmm. but then you have another group of people that say she did this because she realized that cameron wanted another sex slave like it was like okay gone with colleen let's get another one and so janice was getting jealous and she was getting upset so that's when she went to went to the police said you know we kidnapped colleen we also kidnapped this girl by the name of mary Marie and we kidnapped her tortured her and we murdered her but there was no physical proof the police could not find Marie's body anywhere they couldn't find any evidence that they were the kidnappers involved in that case Mm -hmm. there was nothing so Janice decided to testify against Cameron for full immunity yeah and that trial was a shit show so the defense for Cameron Cameron Hooker's attorney was saying things like you know Yeah, Colleen was kidnapped, but once she was kidnapped, everything else was consensual for seven years. Like, yeah, he he put her in the van and stuff and like put her in a box. But then afterwards, when she got out of the box, she was like, oh, my God, you're hot. I like you. And like, I want to have sex with you. And so everything was consensual. The only bad thing Cameron ever did was to kidnap her. And he even said that what Colleen went through, such as being in that box for 23 hours at a time for being in that hot box. Mm hmm of how hot it was and doing all of these things like cooking and cleaning and this labor work he compared it to not that bad it's similar to marine training if you join the marines 
And everyone on the jury is like, what kind of fucking attorney is this? Like, you are not helping anyone. This took place in California, just so you know. And so he was sentenced to 104 years in prison for sexual assault and kidnapping. And I see my fiance. He looks a little bit excited. He's like, good, good, good. That sounds good, right? Um, No. So the judge at the time, he said that this is the most dangerous psychopath that they've ever dealt with. Without a doubt, he will be a danger to women as long as he's alive. That is what the judge who presided over his Cameron Hooker's case said. They also compared this case and the torture of Colleen Stan for seven years unparalleled in FBI history unparalleled the FBI was shook at what Colleen went through they were like what the hell is that in a box a sensory deprivation box like seven years I can't even imagine one day yeah in a like you know the YouTube video of people like the most silent room for like 10 minutes and they lose their marbles yeah 23 yeah. hours I can't even imagine how can someone yeah. a day will feel like seven years yeah they called it unparalleled in FBI history so naturally California is like okay like we might let him out in March 2021 because of COVID what yeah yep this dude's still alive yeah he's 66 he'll be 66 in 2021 and they were like well because of covid they reached out to colleen stan and was like we're thinking about letting him out in 2021 because um you know his parole and covid and all of these things so and what happened I mean, everyone's shook. A lot of actually um, sheriff's departments in California are like trying to petition this because they're like, what are you doing? Like, we're probably just going to have to rearrest him eventually. And why would you put someone like this out on the streets? But the judicial system is like, yeah, well, we're thinking about it. I know, I know, I know. And again, this is not usually I'm like all for prison reform and letting people out. But um, this is not one of those cases. This is absolutely not one of those cases. The judge said he will be a danger to women as long as he's alive. But they're like, eh, who cares about women? 2020, 2021, March. We'll see you then. So their excuse is that usually people who are this psychotic when they turn 66 with their diminishing physical health, they probably won't be as sadistic. But people are also like, um, no. But still, you have to pay for it. Yeah. And Colleen, she changed her name. She still lives in California. She got an accounting degree. And it seems like she's still not... She's... I mean, seven years, like physically speaking, she has back, shoulder and neck issues from being stuck in those positions. She has a lot of body pain. She also seemed to have some failed marriages. She has a troubled kid in jail. Um, I think she's still trying. I mean, this is her trying her best. She volunteers to help abused women. But I think with trauma like that, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to live a normal life. Seven years, you know. And Janice, who got no prison time, she became a social worker and even briefly worked as a mental health professional. Also lives somewhere in California. They have mental health professional. Yeah. What does that even mean? I know. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think Janice was broken to a certain degree, but I don't think Janice is innocent. I I would not look at this and say Janice is a victim. I would nowhere near compare her to Colleen. Yeah, of course. And the way that she came to realization is also yeah. for her own interest. Yeah, right? none of it. 
had to do with the fact that like you woke up and you're like, oh, God, I married a monster. It had to do with the fact that I don't want this person to be his second wife. And then you were like, please don't let him go to jail because I love him. And then you were like, wait, he wants another sex slave. So then now I'm going to rat him out to the police for full immunity. I'm just saying that's not my cup of tea. If I if Janice was my mental health professional, I'd be like, bye, I'll get another one. (laughs) It's just weird. Speaking of weird, speaking of things that don't make sense, right? Here's something that boggles my mind. Have you ever thought about how this is what's going on in the world? That you have to sometimes sit there and choose between what's best for your baby and what's best for your budget? I mean, that's crazy, right? And it shouldn't always be a losing battle for your wallet. Hello Bello is here to lighten that load off the bank account, okay? All while keeping your baby comfy and dry. I have been a obsessed with baby products i'm not pregnant it sounds a little creepy that i'm like i love baby products but my sister's pregnant and i want to be the best coolest aunt ever and i'm doing research for my sister it's co-founded by Kristen bell and dax shepherd which i love them so much <laughs> and it's built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best because why wouldn't they and that's why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices they also have this diaper bundling service that i'm obsessed with and it lets you choose between over 20 different fun rotating designs if i am changing my niece's diaper you better believe it's gonna be a cute one you better believe it's gonna have a little design on there right and each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers four packs of plant-based wipes and even one full-size product freebie with your first order plus the shipping is free and you can cancel at any time you never have to be like oh my god i gotta go to the store get some diapers but then like i have this kid who can't be home alone so i gotta put this kid in the back seat i gotta like tie them up and then now i gotta balance and then like this kid's pooping you know I just don't want that. <laughs> right now, if you go to hellobello.com slash rotten, you'll get 25% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts. A lot of potential poo-poos saved. <laughs> That's hellobello.com slash rotten to start bundling with 25% off your order. Plus, you can get 15% off any add-ons like vitamins, like wipes. And don't forget, that's hellobello.com slash rotten. So this is kind of categorized as one bad egg finds another allegedly good egg, but is actually a bad egg, you know? Mm -hmm. So Janice allegedly could seem like a good egg because she's like, I'm 19, I'm so young and I fell in love and he was abusive and I just didn't want to put up with the abuse, you know? Well, the sexual abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so then um, I, I decided I would grant him a sex slave. So typically with situations like that, you would see the victim who could have been Janice just leaving the relationship or finding help, right? You wouldn't necessarily say that every domestic abuse situation ends up with a sex slave in the basement, right? So it's it's very interesting that she's in that category. And then another category is that two psychopaths, like full on psychopaths, just like get together. This is more like the Carla Homolka case, the Fred and Rosemary case. This is just not like they're both pretty sadistic. They are um, a lot of the times they can be cowards, but they get nasty together. Mm. Like they start giving each other some bravery, some coercion, some like hyping each other up. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So those are kind of like the case. Now, today's case, I'm finally getting into the story I know, is about the sex slave murders. Now, this is going to be about Gerald and Charlene Galigo, and they are some of the most... They're both crazy? (sighs) Crazy in their own ways. Okay. It's really weird. 
So they are from Sacramento, California, and they terrorized 10 people in three different states, California, Oregon, and Nevada. They killed 10 teenagers, all because they just, they're really weird. I don't know how to describe it. And this is Charlene's quote. We had a sexual fantasy and we carried it out. It was easy and fun. We really enjoyed it. So why shouldn't we do it? They're talking about killing people. Like, can you imagine someone's like, it was so easy and it was so fun. So why can't we do it? Like, what kind of privileged motherforking stuff are you talking about? So then Gerald, let's talk about Gerald, who is like the primary psychopath of all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's very interesting. So his dad, he never met his dad. Now, Gerald had crime running through his family. He was born in Sacramento and his dad, who he never met, killed two police officers. And in 1955, he was Gerald's dad was the first man executed in Mississippi's new gas chamber. Um, I didn't know Mississippi had like a gas chamber that they executed felons in like death row inmates in. But uh-huh. I guess like for some point in time, they had a gas chamber and this was like a new one. So they were like, oh, my God, how exciting. This is monumental. This will go down in history. Who's the first person who's going to get gas chambered? Like it was it's weird. So that's how he went down in history. And Gerald knew about this. Like nobody tried to hide this from this young kid. Like he knew he was about six when his dad died. And he was like, oh, wow, my dad is a murderer. Was he proud of it? Does he brag about it? He didn't necessarily brag about it, but it seemed to have like a profound just experience on his life. Gerald's mom's family. Can I just call him Jerry? That's what a lot of people called him. Mm -hmm. Jerry's mom's side also had many murderers and many child molesters in the extended family who were in prison serving their sentences. And the mom was a prostitute on Skid Row in Sacramento. Now that again is just like, okay, like I have a lot of sympathy for that. But what she would do is she would make her sons be runner for pimps. Now what a runner for a pimp is, they will get the money for the pimps. They will bring the woman to the clients and then back to the pimps and they will just like run errands like think about a personal assistant but for a pimp and so she made her sons become runners for pimps by the time they were like what 12 years old so jerry is a little runner yeah so that they could make extra money for the family he actually started getting in trouble with the law at six years old for robbery and sex offenses at six (laughs) he, he yeah he committed sex acts with younger kids at six and he would rob people at six years old so he started getting in trouble with the law at that time at 12 years old he was actually convicted for sex acts with a six-year-old when he was 12 i mean it was really bad he had he was involved with a lot of police shootouts with robberies him and his brothers would just go rob people rob motels just rob a bunch of people and by the time that he met charlene he was already arrested 23 times 23 times I think he was like, I want to say late 20s by the time he met her. Yeah, but he was also married and divorced like five or six times by the time he met her. So let's get into his first marriage. So when he was 21 years old, he met his first wife. Um, She was 16. So they end up getting married and they have a daughter together. Her name is Krista. Now, Krista is going to be really important to the story. So keep that in mind. And for some reason, even though Jerry would go and beat his first wife with a hammer, the judge granted full custody to Jerry. So Jerry takes Krista, the daughter, and is like, well, I don't really want to deal with you. So you're going to go live with my mom. So he sends her off to live with his mom and he goes on to marry his second wife, who is a 24 year old waitress. 
it was just bad. Like 26 days in, they already got a divorce because he would constantly beat the shit out of her. And one day, for a full day, she said, from like the morning until sundown, he chased her around the house with a knife. And so that's when she was like, I don't think I can do this. And a lot of the ex-wives say that he was at first ugly, but very like Mr. Macho. Like he's not attractive, which is weird because Charlene is very attractive. She looks like a Barbie. Um, So he's really ugly. So a lot of people are like, how was he even married that many times? And how did girls get attracted to him? And they said something about him was very macho. Like he was very good at making a woman feel like a woman. Now, at the time, this was kind of like the trend. This is what people wanted at the time, I guess. 2020 is not really like that, you know. Hmm. But like at the time, they were like, you know, they make you feel feminine and very like just a muscular dude. You get it. Now, another ex-wife had uh, very not so nice things to say. And this is going to kind of get gross. But she said that sex with him was having sex with the Tasmanian devil. And this is how he liked to have sex. He liked to have anal. Then he liked to get a blowjob. And then he liked to have sex in that particular order. So just that's nasty. Yeah. So, I mean, she just like that was her quote. Okay, I just had to mention it because it was real gross. Now, the third wife, she was a laundry worker. And one month into it, she also divorced him because he would kick the shit out of her. Um, I don't know if that was like his thing. But in this particular marriage, he really liked to kick the shit out of her, I guess. It sounds so gruesome, but he just really liked kicking her. And then after that, he got into a divorce and him and his half brother, David, they decide to arm rob a motel. So they were completely armed. They robbed this motel. They get sent to prison and they escape that prison. (laughs) They literally prison break and they were recaptured four days later, running loose in Sacramento. And so he was sentenced to five years. Now, during that five year sentence, a lot of it would be served at a hospital for depression, though. So Jerry, I guess he was depressed. Um honestly i am very sympathetic for mental health issues but i guess when you're gonna become like a serial killer for 10 people i don't really have like the space in my heart to be like oh poor jerry was depressed Mm -hmm. and so then his fourth wife who he met in reno nevada her name was harriet she was 19 years old they immediately got married she got pregnant they divorced within one month so the daughter of this marriage still has no idea who her dad is allegedly Mm -hmm. as far as i can tell that's what all my research told me so she has no idea and harriet's family would consider him like a jekyll and hyde like at first he's so charming he's like this macho man he's like muscular he's like let me change that light bulb for you right and then suddenly he will just beat people up like he's just nasty Mm -hmm. so then his fifth marriage he married someone who was also working in the laundry industry and that's when they remembered that he had this like ceremony this small little ceremony and there was this 10 year old girl by the name of krista who he claimed to everyone including his wife his new wife his fifth wife was his sister but it was actually his daughter from the first marriage right Uh And so she was part of the wedding as a ring bearer. I mean, it was just weird. So this was his fifth marriage. And during this time, while he was still married to this woman, he's going to meet Charlene. Mm -hmm. Let's get into Charlene. She was from an upper middle class family in Sacramento. And she was the only child of the Williams family. And she was really spoiled. So the dad, he used to be a butcher at a grocery store. And he 
worked his ass off and worked his way up to becoming an executive level at a national grocery chain. So he was doing really well for himself. And the mom, she sold cosmetics here and there, but she was kind of more of like a stay at home mom. So she, you know, Charlene got a lot of attention. She got a lot of love and she also got a lot of things. And she was insanely smart. She has an IQ of 160. Yeah, that's genius. Super genius. She she started playing the violin and within two years, everyone was like, you're definitely going to get into like Juilliard. Like imagine within two years, there are people who start playing the violin since they're like six and they work their ass off until end of high school to get into Juilliard in Uh New York. And they were like, no, dude, like within two years, you're done. Like, wow. And so everyone had just high hopes for her up until high school. High school is when everything kind of fell apart. She started getting into alcohol. She started getting into drugs and she started really getting into sex that was kind of like her thing she was very promiscuous um i'm not shaming her but she was very experimental but now combining sex with drugs and alcohol that's just not a really good recipe right and she barely was able to graduate high school she failed out of college within like a semester and it didn't seem like her parents i mean they cared but they still spoiled the shit out of her i mean this is their only daughter so the dad even though all of this happened he still spoiled her by co-signing a car with her he got her an apartment he would buy her clothes like just new clothes all the time anytime that she asked i mean she definitely was daddy's little girl so a lot of people that knew her would say that you know she was kind of shy she was really pretty she was very polite well-mannered but she definitely was just super spoiled you could tell it was like daddy's money right so most the killers are abused yeah, and she, this one's overspoiled. Yeah, just overspoiled. That's crazy. Yeah. And so then she was like five feet tall. People said she looked like a Barbie. She had blonde hair, blue height, blue eyes. She was known to just get any man that she wanted. She didn't have trouble in the dating scene. If anything, too many people wanted to date her. Mm-hmm. And her first husband, his name was Rick. And he... <laughs> I mean, this whole story is going to make you so scared of guys. Like if... <laughs> just a disclaimer i'm gonna shit on dudes a lot but like i love men i love my fiance most men are not nasty but this whole story even her first husband is just so misogynistic rick said that he fell in love with charlene the first day that he met her for how soft-spoken quiet graceful and perfectly mannered charlene was that weekend he proposed to her because of how soft-spoken and quiet and graceful and polite Charlene was. He was like, you, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to put a ring on it. Will you marry me? I don't care about your personality. You're soft-spoken. Let's get married. And so, um, yeah, then right before her marriage, he said he was shocked because she cut her hair and she started wearing makeup. And I quote, started dressing with flair. I don't know what that means. but like, And he didn't like that? He was like, what is this? Uh that's not what i signed up for i signed up for a soft-spoken quiet graceful perfect manners (laughs) um (laughs) he was kind of shook by this but he was like you know what maybe i can talk some sense into her so he's from germany so he went back to germany to i guess like visit his family and he wrote to her every single day that he was in germany and she just fucking ghosted him she ghosted him so he had their marriage annulled like can you imagine you just get married to someone and they just never talk to you ever again 
So he legally had their marriage annulled. I don't know what her reason was, but I can see maybe there was a strong reason because he sounds a little cuckoo too. So then her second marriage was actually to a guy by um, that she knew from high school. So they started redating. They had this massive wedding, like a hundred guests attended. And both of them, after they got married, were very, very obsessed with drugs. At one point, Charlene started trying to commit suicide by drinking a household cleaner. And he had to stop her from that. She was diagnosed with having asthma and he was diagnosed with having seizures and both of them blamed each other. So like Charlene would say that any time that he had to go take out the trash, he would just conveniently have a seizure and then he would blame her and be like, anytime I wanted to have sex, she would just conveniently have an asthma attack. And it was just not a healthy relationship. <laughs> like, could you imagine blaming your significant other for their health issues? Oh, they're like, oh, oh, yeah, really? Right now, when I ask you, when I ask you to do the dishes, you're just going to have a fucking seizure. And then you just like walk away while they're having a full blown seizure on the kitchen floor. Like, could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Charlene, she gets a divorce and she ends up going to this very, very seedy poker bar one day. And it was just not a highly regarded place. I don't know how they had their license is what a lot of people said to even be a poker facility. But this was just right before Charlene's 21st birthday. And that's when she runs into a good old Jerry Galago. Now she says, she says that Jerry was really, really nice, just like a clean cut fellow. And he says that he instantly fell in love with her insanely petite figure and blonde hair. She was a real skinny, short little girl with blonde hair. And he was like, that, that's going to be my next wife. So again, I hate people. (laughs) And um, after they met at that bar, he sent her a dozen roses later with like, for my pretty lady, that was what he wrote. And she fell in love and they moved in together within a couple months into the apartment that Charlene's parents were paying for. And that's when, listen, Gerald, Jerry had no job. (laughs) This was Charlene's apartment. But he was like, nah, I'm gonna lay down the law. This is how it's gonna be. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the audacity? The audacity, right? So Jerry tells Charlene, listen, I'm not going to work. You're going to be the breadwinner. So Charlene was working at a supermarket as a clerk because her dad had gotten her the job, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to turn in your whole paycheck to me. I'm going to manage the money. But when he meant manage, not as in like, uh, I'm better with finances, but like, I'm just going to take your money, you know, mm-hmm. and like, maybe I'll give you something here and there, but it's my money now. Right. And so then she's like, OK, sounds good. And then he was like, I also get to decide what you wear and what you don't wear. And she's mm-hmm. like, OK, sounds good. And then he was like, also, you're always going to have your hair styled in bangs and pigtails because I really like like this young, fresh, underage look. So you're just going to look like that all the time. And so she's like, OK, sounds good. And so he would dictate who she talked to, who she didn't talk to, what she did on her off days. And he would cheat on her. And he said, I'm not going to hide any of my affairs from you. Like, I'm just not. He would even come home and every day he would rank all of his affairs, including Charlene. So he would say so like my number one girl right now is jenny from the block you know and then my number two girl right now is janice hooker Uh, that's weird (laughs) you know like he would rank them and charlene would always be at the bottom how does she feel about she would get so upset but she wanted to like work her way up to the top (laughs) like (laughs) what is happening right now what is happening 
I'm so confused. What? And like on really generous days, Shailene would be ranked number two. She was never ranked his number one girl. So she claims, Shailene claims, that her entire life, her entire, you know, time that she was committing all these crimes was just so she could be his number one girl. So what is her issue? Like she wants... So she says that she really liked Jerry because her first two husbands were both weak mama's boys. And I think maybe it had to do with the psych. I feel like something happened in her childhood, but also maybe it had to do with the fact that her parents just kind of gave her everything, Mm. you know, and then her two husbands seemed to be kind of passive and they just kind of did what she wanted. Mm. And then now she's like finally meeting this Mr. Macho guy who's like, nah, sit your ass down. I'm gonna cheat on you. And so maybe she was like, whoa, this is different. This is weird. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not getting what I want, even though I don't deserve it. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. she was. That's what I think. But I have no idea. I don't know. It's weird. This is puzzling. And Charlene would claim that she just found him very exciting. Dynamic was the word that she used. Dynamic. Now, here was the issue, though. Um, Jerry, for being the tough guy that he is, he had erectile um dysfunction syndrome or whatever you call it he Hmm. couldn't get it up and so charlene was blamed for this it was always her fault it was never his fault it was always her fault he would always say well you're too skinny or you're too fat or you're too ugly or you're you're not trying hard enough or you're not doing what i like or you're not enthusiastic enough or you know this position sucks like they tried every position known to mankind allegedly apparently they bought books on positions and if charlene complained that one of the positions hurt but he had a little bit of a bonbon a little bit of a boner he would be like well that's really not my problem is it so these she shared these information i'm I'm assuming yeah she was just like i'm just gonna share everything now okay okay (laughs) and she tried everything and she didn't really care that she was getting blamed for any of this she just wanted to be proposed to she wanted to marry jerry she wanted to be jerry's number one girl that's when jerry comes to her and he's like listen i have this fantasy that i need to tell you about and Again, this is so similar to Ian Brady. Um, I have this fantasy and I just like want these girls that are young, ripe for the picking. And I quote, girls that will be there whenever I want them to and do whatever I want them to. And she was like, yeah, that's really only going to happen in your dreams. So at first, she, Charlene, really saw this as like competition. Like, why would she want that for him? You know, she wants to get a ring on her finger. This is just a fantasy. She's not going to try to fulfill that fantasy. She's already having such a hard time being his number one girl. Why would she want to add more girls into the mix? So they kind of stopped their conversation there. And Charlene's dad also helped him get a truck driving position for $11 an hour through his connections because he was unemployed at the time Mm -hmm. so he ends up moving out of charlene's apartment Hmm. so he's like now that i have my own job i'm gonna get my own apartment and he got his daughter krista from his first marriage that was living with his mom to move in with him and she was 14 at the time right Mm -hmm. and she had been living on and off with him since she was about six years old and he would visit her and she would stay with him for a while like during the summers and krista was like well can i have a friend stay with us for like a couple of weeks and so he was like absolutely let her stay at this apartment now krista's friend would later tell the police that she was sexually molested by gerald twice during her visit 
to Krista's place and she was 14 years old. So it seemed like he was putting his sexual fantasies to life illegally, obviously, and twistedly and disgustingly. Mm -hmm. And Charlene, at the same time, after he had moved out, she started developing her own fantasies. So she was 21 and she was exploring her sexuality. She was really interested in women. She's like her ex-husbands prior to any of this, prior to Jerry, her ex-husband said that she had this fantasy of being raped by a woman Charlene, and that she, and I quote, wanted to go to bed with a whore. She decided to put her fantasy to a test. And so she brings home this underage girl into her house when she's 21 and they start doing it. Now, Gerald, for some reason, decided to pay her a visit after work and he caught her in bed with this underage girl. And you would think, you would think if, um, well, okay, like take out the underage fact. You would think maybe like Jerry, because of how twisted he is, he'd be like, oh, perfect. Let me just hop right in, right? But um, he actually gets enraged because he hates, he hates homosexuality and And it's crazy because later in the trial, when Charlene testifies against Jerry, he will even tell the jury, how can you trust her? She was a lesbian at one point. And everyone's just like, what? "What?" (laughs) Yeah, he was his own attorney. We'll get into it. He represented himself. Yeah, yeah. And he tried to. Is that like a um, sociopath? Yeah, they just think that they're like the smartest one, Uh. you know, narcissist. They're the smartest one in the room in their head, right? And so he was like, how can the jury trust her? She's a lesbian. And everyone's like, what? (laughs) And so his male ego also was hurt by this because he believed he's more than enough man for a woman. So how dare she find satisfaction in another woman when he's all the man that she needs? Okay, listen, sometimes these cases really, really make me need a drink or two. Besides, I'm 24, turning 25 this month. I can take a drink if I want to, okay? I'm just saying, legally speaking. But these cases really, really, and I need a glass of wine every now and then so I don't get bonkers by researching these crazy, crazy people. Like, Jerry is making me need a glass of wine right now. I love my Saturday nights. I love getting a glass of wine, watching Harry Potter, researching cases, but I I absolutely hate the Sunday scaries and feeling like garbage. Like, I hate that. It takes the fun away, right? Which is why I use DHM Detox. It's the vitamin for people who like to enjoy their drinks. So tens of thousands of people are using this right now as their drinking buddy. It's kind of time to start taking care of yourself and thinking about the next day. The company itself is built on the words, no days wasted. So what you do is you just take two capsules after your first couple of drinks and it goes to work. It's made up of natural ingredients and antioxidants and vitamins they also come in these really convenient packets that are easy to share with your friends and family while you're celebrating or socializing i know thanksgiving's coming up you want to take that if you're gathering with your family christmas and dhm detox is a risk-free purchase so if you aren't satisfied after taking the product they'll give you your money back it's kind of a no-brainer so at the very least give it a shot give it a wine of glass wait (laughs) give it a glass of wine have i already had a drink and get a refund if you don't love it we've got you 20 percent off your order just head to nodayswasted.co slash rotten and use promo code rotten at checkout that's nodayswasted.co so he was really hurt with his male ego so he decided to beat up both of them and then the underage girl escaped and he beat up charlene some more so then gerald's 30th birthday comes around and he decides to celebrate in a really disgusting way he decides to sodomize his daughter krista what 
who was 14 at the time. Yeah. And she goes to the police later on and she claims that this has been happening since she was six years old. Now, she would even claim that Charlene would be in the house sometimes when it happened, not necessarily like in the room, but like there and present at times. Now, she would end up going back to Gerald's mom's place and staying with her for a while. I mean, this is going to come back later, but just hold on to your tits, right? And then that was his 30th birthday. Now, Charlene ends up getting pregnant and Gerald gets so upset. He's like, why the hell did you do something? Oh, and Gerald gets so upset by this. He he tells her and I quote, why the hell didn't you do something so you wouldn't get pregnant? And she said, it's not my fault, Jerry. And he said, well, it sure as hell isn't mine. And so he's like, well, it's not mine. And he gets so mad. He just like goes on a rampage. He starts, you know, doing more drugs. He starts drinking more alcohol. He almost gets fired from his job. So he ends up actually just quitting his job because he's like, I don't want to get fired. So he quits his job. And it seems like all of this came from her Charlene announcing that she was pregnant with his baby she was he was just so mad now Krista goes back to Jerry's mom to live and he would just go back to his mom's place constantly to quote de-stress but he would just constantly molest his daughter Jesus. yeah Does the mom know you think she will find out later And so then his first crime happens two months into Charlene's pregnancy. So Charlene is two months pregnant. She's experiencing some of the worst morning sickness that she's ever had. And he would claim that that's her problem as far as he's concerned. Her morning sickness is her problem. Oh my gosh, if you are pregnant right now, I can already see you like pacing. If my sister listens to this podcast, she would be pacing. She would get mad at her fiance just by listening to this like he didn't even he loves her and he does everything for her morning sickness but she would just be mad right now listening to this at him (laughs) okay and so she's laying in bed just dying and he wakes her up and he says listen we've got plans get up and so she's like what and he is like sit down eat your breakfast because we've got a long day ahead of us he didn't make her the breakfast by the way she made it and so she's sitting there, morning sick as fuck, eating her breakfast, and he's laying out his plans. And he pulls out a pistol that she had bought him for Christmas and is like, we're going to take this gun and we're going to go get a sex slave while she's eating breakfast, two months pregnant with his baby. And her reaction was? It, well, she said she felt weird about having a sex slave, but she also wanted him to be happy. And she thought that this was a test, a test of love. This was to prove that she was his number one girl who was willing to do anything for him. And if she was able to do this, then he would put a ring on her finger. Again, doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. Not okay, actually, but you get it. That doesn't make any sense. And so she loved him. So she was like, okay. So she's just fucking eating her cereal, listening to him. And then after she's done, he's like, get in the car. Let's get into that Dodge van that your dad co-signed for you. And let's go towards the Country Club Plaza shopping center and just go look for some young teens. Now, he had a type and it was kind of Charlene, right? Um, His type was really young girls, really slim figures, very petite He really liked blonde girls. He really liked girls who looked innocent in his eyes. He said, quote, just innocent. Very, um, his quote was nubile, just like nubile. I don't know. Let me Google the definition of that. Nubile. It means a young woman who's sexually attractive. That's what he wanted. So he, they get to the freaking shopping plaza. They park that van and he tells Charlene to go inside and find sweet nubile girl for him and get her into the van. And he would take care of it from there. So she, she's like, okay, shit, like, I don't know what to do. This is my first time doing this. So she's searching around. He goes and buys some adhesive tape and she gets so nervous. Later, he finds her in the mall and she still has 
an approach to any girls. So he starts yelling at her in the mall. And she said, I'm trying, Jerry. I'm trying. And he said, try harder, bitch. I'll be waiting. Don't let me down. My God. (laughs) What? Uh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine even being spoken to like that by your boyfriend and being okay with it? But second of all, being spoken to like that when you are searching for sex slaves for your boyfriend to kidnap? I, I, and so then she comes across Rhonda Scheffler, who is 17 years old, and Kippy Vaught, who is 16 years old. And of course, like when you go to a mall, you're really not going to find like a teenage girl by herself. So she found two teenage girls that were hanging out together. And Charlene offered them to smoke weed in her van. And they accepted because Charlene is like, what? She's like in her early 20s. She's really young. She's really pretty. She looks very like well dressed. And she talks, you know, not like a crazy person, I guess you could say. Like she doesn't sound like erratic. Like you want to go fucking smoke some weed. Like she's like, hey, like, do you guys want to? smoke weed with me and so they're like oh yeah like you seem cool so they decided to walk to the van with her and by the time that they got into the van there was a man sitting there with a pistol pointed at them and so he makes them jerry makes the girls lie face down binds their hands and feet together and charlene was to sit in the back of the van with them and watch his slaves is what he said and keep them quiet and docile is what he said again these are all very like misogynistic terms to use for women like docile means like very like calm and not talking back and just well-mannered yeah it's just not a cool word anyway so then he was in the front driving to an isolated area and he drives them towards the woods and he takes with him the two girls a sleeping bag a blanket and a gun and he tells charlene to wait at the van and she waits for hours the whole time she claims her thought was how can i ever compete with these young girls. Charlene, read the fucking room. There are two girls getting assaulted right now and you help facilitate this. Read the fucking room. But she said the whole time, she was just like, how will I ever be good enough for Jerry? Like, these girls are so young. I hate her. I hate her. And so then finally, after hours, he came back and the girls weren't with him. And he said so chillingly, Ask me no questions because I'll tell you no lies. So it's kind of telling Charlene, like, if you don't want to hear about what I did with those girls, then don't fucking ask because I'm not going to lie to you. So you killed them? Um, no, he assaulted them for hours. And just left them? Um, yes, as of right now. And he said, I want you to go back to Sacramento, drive the speed limit, don't get caught, and go to a random friend and say hi. Go to their house and say hi. And just like... That's it. Go back into the van, change cars into your parents' car, and then come pick me up from the woods in that car. Drive the speed limit. So she was just going and gathering an alibi for her so that she could be like, oh, well, Jerry was in the car with me while I said hi to this friend, right? So she does all of that. And on her way to pick him up, again, these are all moments that like the court of law and like people look at as, hey, these are moments where you can probably snap out of it. You know, like crime of passion is one thing, but you're driving back to Sacramento, saying hi to a friend, driving fucking back to the woods to pick up your fucking boyfriend who just uh, kidnapped and assaulted people. Right. It's kind of a moment of reflection that you could have to be like, maybe I should call the cops now. Right. Maybe this is not a good idea. But on her way to pick him up, all she could think about, all she was concerned about was him being cold in the woods she was like it's nighttime now he didn't bring a jacket he must be so cold i need to drive faster i don't want him to catch a cold 
And so then he gets into the car and he was he said, oh, God, thank God I was freezing my ass off. And then he gets he tells her to drive into the woods because this is a smaller car from the van. And there was like this little clearing. So she drives into the woods and into the back of the car. He places two disheveled, disoriented and dirty girls like she was traumatized, like they had mud all over them, like they were traumatized. Right. And she said that they kind of looked almost like in a hypnotic state from all the trauma yeah and so they were just kind of like please let us go and he said if you listen to us we're not gonna hurt you we're just gonna drive you into like a random farmy area so that it'll just be harder for you to get back home right and so they were like okay so then they drive into this farmy area and he goes out and he tells Charlene turn on the radio and don't look in your rear view mirror drags out the girls and she turns up the radio as loudest as possible and she starts hearing pops and she turns down the radio and she hears Gary say, damn it, one of them is still wiggling. And then more pops. And then they drove away. Just like that? Just like that. Now, two days later, both of the remains were found. So two migrant farmers found the bodies and the police realized who they were. They were already reported missing. Um, the autopsy showed that they were sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and then shot to death. One of them was shot multiple times, so that could technically be the one that was quote wiggling and there was kind of a lead early on in this case so there was three friends who saw them at the shopping plaza and they said oh my god oh my god we know what happened to our friends Rhonda and Kippy we know what happened and so the police are like what happened and they said we saw them get into a Pontiac Firebird with two African-American males and so the police were like oh my god tell us more and so they start searching for these males and they find one of the suspects an African-American male who owned a Pontiac and Matt the description that they said he was also recently fired from his job due to drinking while on duty and he kind of made some inconsistent statements about the day of like he didn't really remember where he was he didn't really have a solid alibi right Mm -hmm. and they were kind of like the main suspects in the case and the police did not really look for anything more than that they were just like ah this is good this is good enough for us now, during this time in Sacramento, there was a lot of racism. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm tr there still is a lot of racism. But during that time, there was a lot of racism. Mm. So it was so pointed that they were just like, eh, whatever. This is good. So what did they do? They, they were close just the case. Yeah, they were just mainly what? like, we're just going to try to tie them to this. Oh so they were essentially working back. Yeah. And it's crazy because these three friends, I mean, I don't know why they said that. Whether it was maybe they saw them at one point talking to them or maybe they did get into their car at one point, you know, but they were never harmed or I don't know why they said that. And I can only imagine this was just it was a shitty situation, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like a closed case. They never looked for anybody else. They never asked more people in the mall. Like, did you see anyone approach these two girls? Because Charlene mm -hmm. approached the two girls inside of the mall yeah. in daylight where people were. But yeah, nothing. So then after this happened, Charlene was forced to having an abortion. She really wanted to keep the baby. But um, yeah, Jerry was just like, no. And so Charlene asked him, like, don't I have a say in this? Because this is kind of my baby. Yeah. And he said, sure you do. As long as the same opinion as mine. And he dragged her into the abortion clinic and forced her to get an abortion. And then they go visit Jerry's family with Krista, who's there, right? His daughter. And mm -hmm. by that time, they had no idea. But Krista had already told the family everything. And they had already alerted the police. 
So Krista went to the police and Jerry's mom supported that decision. Jerry's stepdad supported that decision. Everyone supported that decision. But Jerry arrived to visit and Jerry's mom was trying to use this visit as a way to convince him to turn himself in because the police were already looking for him, you know, for incest, sodomy and all of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And Charlene was shocked when she heard about all of this. She was like, oh, my God. How could Krista turn on him like that? She said that was her main thought. Like, he loves her, maybe even more than he loves Charlene. You know, how could Krista, regardless of if this is true or not, how could she turn him into the police? Mm-hmm. That was her thought. Like, how sick and twisted, right? And so he already has an arrest warrant out for him. And he starts freaking out. Now he's like, oh, my God, I got this whole issue with the law here. I got this whole issue with if I get arrested for incest and sodomy against my daughter, then like, uh, you know, what if they talk to Charlene? What if they question her? And then she confesses about the two sex slaves that we killed, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I killed. And so he was like, damn it, maybe I should kill Charlene. And he was like, nah, that's boring because then who's going to get my sex slaves from me? Because a dude approaching two girls inside of the mall being like, you want to go smoke some weed? It's not going to work that well, right? Mm -hmm. So he was like, nah, I'm going to marry her. Marrying her is going to ensure that she never turns on me. I'm going to give her what she wants. So they get married and they somehow convince Charlene's family to give them a fake birth certificate of a family member. I mean, it was a real birth certificate, but it was like of a of a family member, like a distant relative, like let's say a cousin. And his name was Stephen Robert Feel. So he changed his identity. So he would start using that identity because he had an arrest warrant out for Gerald Galago for incest and sodomy. And his parents asked about it and they were saying like things like, no, like Gerald's mom and his first wife brainwashed his daughter into like claiming that he was raping her. And, you know, dad, I love him and I'm trying to get married. And obviously being daddy's little girl, they just kind of did everything for her. This family is a joke. Yeah. And so they just like gave him the birth certificate. Listen, even when I asked my mom for my birth certificate, she was super suspicious. She's like, what do you need it for? A passport? What do you need a passport for? Korea? What are you going to Korea for? I'm kidding. Like, it's just weird. Like, how can you ask a family member for their birth certificate? Yeah. So then they decide very briefly to move to Houston, Texas, where um, Gerald becomes a bartender using Charlene's family's connections. I guess Charlene's dad had a friend who owned a bar there. So he's like a bartender there. But then he ended up getting really angry at one of the other bartenders and pulled out his pistol and just shot it into the roof to be like, I'm not fucking around. I'm not kidding. Yeah, it was weird. And Charlene worked a lot of shitty jobs. Now, this one was very interesting because she actually got a lot of offers and the ability to work for better positions because she had a very nice, pleasant appearance and she was very polite, well-mannered, well-spoken, eloquent. But Gerald would never let her take those jobs. Mm. Any job that he considered too, too above his ability, he would never let her get. So he would only let her just work like clerk jobs, like cashier jobs. Mm. And then, you know, obviously he got fired from his bar in Houston because, I mean, if you are shooting bullets into the roof, you're not really going to. um, Yeah, your W-2 is getting ripped up, dude. And so they decide to move to Reno, Nevada. And this is when more sex problems started happening. I mean, his his erectile dysfunction was getting like off the charts bad. And he would just yell at her all the time. And he would say, listen, you're just not hitting the spot. I need a sex slave now. And so after about 10 months since their first 
you know, kidnappings, Mm -hmm. they went to a local fair in Reno, Nevada, and they found Brenda, who was 14 years old, and Sandra, who was 13 years old. And she was, they were approached by Charlene, who said, listen, I'm going to put out these flyers on people's cars, and if you guys come with me, I'll pay you guys money. Like, in the parking lot of the fair, just Mm -hmm. like these little flyers, put them out in the windshield. Mm -hmm. So she was like, okay, like, let's start from the back where the van was parked, right? Mm -hmm. So the girls are following her, and they're like, oh, this is easy money. So they walk to the back, and all of a sudden, someone jumps out of a van with a gun pointed at them and drags them into the van so by this point they had kind of like rearranged the van a little bit so they had taken out the seats in the back and put a mattress in the back so that you know gerald could be comfortable and they made the girls lie face down bound them together and charlene was put in the back as she watched them and he drove away now they started stopping at a hardware store he picked up a silver shovel and a hammer And this time he said, you know what, Charlene, you drive. And he went into the back and he undressed them completely and started assaulting them while she was driving. And she was getting upset. So she started speeding a little bit and he got really mad at her. And he was like, you can't even do anything fucking right. And so they switched again. And so she was forced to sit in the back with these naked girls that she just helped her husband assault and kidnap. So then they drove into like this desert area because Reno, Nevada, and he dragged one girl into the desert at a time, leaving Charlene in the car with the other one. And they were like asking Charlene, like, are we going to live? Like, what's going to happen? And she was just like, yeah, yeah, just listen to what he says. He came back with no one. And then he took the next girl and he disappeared for a while. And he came back and he told them that he did the job with a hammer and a shovel. No gun this time. And they drove away. Now, the girls were immediately reported missing, but Reno, Nevada is known to be a relatively tough area. It's not your most forgiving area. Um, There's a lot of runaways. There's a lot of crime in Reno. So the police at first really didn't take it that seriously. I'm not going to lie. They thought that they had convinced each other as friends to like run away together. So they just didn't really look into it, which like 13 and 14. How... There was also no leads. There was no tips, like nothing. So the police were like, well, what can we do, right? And they did not search as much as they should have. Now, Charlene, she was given the wonderful ability to clean the van every single time after the sex slave's blood was kind of in them. So she would clean the hammer. She would clean the little shovel, you know. So from Reno, Nevada, they were like, you know what? Let's move back to Sacramento. I don't like this. And you've got this fake name. So his fake name was Stephen Robert Feel, remember? Mm -hmm. So she would be known as Mrs. Feel and he was Stephen Feel. And they move back to Sacramento. He gets another bartending job. And that's when he starts this really passionate affair with a girl by the name of Patty. Allegedly, she got pregnant with his baby. I don't know if she kept it. I don't know if this is she even got pregnant, but allegedly there's you know a little baby out there right and he would always introduce Charlene as his girlfriend to everyone so that he could actively cheat on her so like he would bring her to the bar and be like this is my girlfriend but then also the next day hook up with one of the bar staff at this point she didn't really seem to mind that he was having an affair as long as he wasn't killing people then they would like constantly break up a lot and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he claimed that she was cramping his style like he just didn't like her around and he would physically beat her but they would always end up getting back together and then later he was like you know what i just need another girl 
I just need another sex life. So she's like, okay, sounds good. So they get into the car. They drive to multiple different places, a convenience store, a record store, a high school, a country club plaza. And then finally, they go back to a Sunrise Mall, which is like a suburban city outside of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And Jerry pointed at two girls. They had just walked out of a bookstore and they looked kind of indecisive about indecisive about what they were going to do next that day. Mm -hmm. And her name was Karen. She was 17 years old, Karen Twiggs, and Stacy, who was 17 years old as well. They this is really sad. They had both recently gotten jobs at a fast food restaurant and they had just gotten their first paycheck. So they were like, oh, let's go like spoil ourselves and hang out. And so Charlene approaches them, entices them with some weed. They go back to the van and again, same MO. Charlene drives and watches them being assaulted in the rearview mirror in the back. And she was jealous this time allegedly jerry was vocally comparing her with the sex slaves while in the back yeah like oh well this one's skinnier than you like oh this one's prettier than you and he would drive them out to the desert and he would he killed them and this time he made charlene look at the graves she did not want to but he was like look at it and he was like laughing while she looked at the graves and crying Now, these girls, they were high school kids. They were reported missing. And again, people believed that they planned to run away together. I mean, it's crazy. Now, three months later, picnickers discovered their coyote ravaged remains in two shallow graves. And the autopsy showed that they were raped. They had massive and fatal head injuries. Something from a hammer-like instrument was quoted on the autopsy. And there was, again, no solid clues or answers. People knew that they were at the Sunrise Mall and the way that the place that their body was found was more towards Nevada. So it just it was weird. I'd like to say that as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit wiser. I've gotten a bit, you know, pickier about what's on my bed. If you get my drift, you know, (laughs) my standards have gotten higher. Also, I have to acknowledge the fact that I've had the same pairs of sheets for a while now. And for some reason, I never fell in love with them. I'm not like, this is the best thing ever. It's just there, right? And every single time I'm like, I gotta wash these sheets. So then I put them into the laundry machine and then I take them out and then I put them back onto my bed. And Brooke Lennon can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. Life is way too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. That is something I realized. Brooke Lennon was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find these beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooke Lennon. And it's the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. So they work directly with the manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury-level markups. And they have a variety of different sheets, colors, patterns, and materials so that your needs and your taste are just perfect with it. They've got over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They're so confident in their product that all their bedding comes with a lifetime warranty, which is insane. They also have way more than sheets. I honestly started with a set of sheets and I was like, wait, this is too good. So then I looked into their comforters, their pillows, their towels. They even have like loungewear. They're the type of sheets that you put on and they make you do that weird leg thing, like where you start making some snow angels. You start moving your legs around and you're like, these are some good sheets. So don't wait. Do something nice for yourself. It changes every single night. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code ROTTEN to get 10% off your first order and free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.
N.com and enter promo code ROTTEN for 10% off your first order plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use promo code ROTTEN. So they kill again, right? So this is their sixth victim. And that's when Charlene gets pregnant again. And they were fighting during all of this. Like uh, between kills, they just were not in a good relationship. They were constantly fighting. Charlene seemed to be losing interest. She just did not see him the same way as she did before. She was filled with jealousy, but not in like the proactive, like I'm going to be his number one girl jealousy. Just kind of like, ah, this guy's annoying. And she fell pregnant again. And this time, Jerry was happy to keep the baby because he realized Shailene will always be devoted to him. Mm. And he even thought to himself, hopefully it's a daughter who looks like Shailene or Krista. Oh, my God. So she's six weeks pregnant again and she's motion sickness to hell. And he's like, let's go to Oregon. I want to go camping. Like imagine you're pregnant and you have motion sickness. The last thing you want to do is go camping in a tent. Like you want to be laying on a bed, you know? With some Brooklyn and sheets, but they're like, no, let's go camping. And so she's like, okay, this sucks. So they go to Oregon. And during this time, they see this really pretty pregnant lady walking by. And this was kind of like the opposite of Charlene's. She had this dark black hair and it was just weird, Charlene thought. And again, I think this is so weird that Charlene thinks it's weird that he's choosing victims that don't look like her more than the fact that he's choosing victims at all. Mm. but she's just kind of like puzzled she's comparing herself to yeah and you know jerry was like i really like her we should ask her if she needs a ride because she was walking away from a store with all of these bags and she seemed like she was just walking home she's also pregnant yeah also pregnant and she was more pregnant she was four months pregnant so her belly was um pretty big so she was confused she asked jerry wait this isn't really your type like she doesn't she's not blonde and she's not really like skinny she's four months pregnant so obviously she's not skinny why would you why would you choose her like very jealous and he was like well can't you see i like my woman pregnant and so they ask linda aguilar who's 21 years old she was picking some things up from the store going home she was like things were not going well with her boyfriend at the time her baby daddy at the time and this Mm -hmm. van pulls up and they ask if she needs a ride now inside of it was a nice looking couple and one of them also stated that you know the girl stated that she was pregnant so she's like oh well that's a no-brainer it's just a pregnant woman and her boyfriend feeling sympathetic for another pregnant woman having to walk Mm -hmm. so sure why not she gets into the car now mind you another vehicle was crossing from the opposite side and the driver actually saw this pregnant woman on foot earlier and planned to offer her a ride himself and he was like Mm -hmm. oh well now i don't need to because she just got into a van Mm -hmm. so they drove away and as charlene is driving he tied her up they drove to a wooded area and he dragged her out and started assaulting the pregnant woman and charlene all she could think to herself was not pregnant woman to a pregnant woman i feel so bad i can't believe i helped this happen she said i wonder if he's doing this to punish me for getting pregnant like, what is going on? With read her? the room, Charlene. What is going on? Read the fucking room, Charlene. I know. Are you getting? You're getting upset, right? Like, like it's, I don't understand. Is this what like too high of an IQ does to you? Like messes you up because she's completely not normal. She's not, and she thinks like the world revolves around her. So he comes back just sweating and dragging the pregnant lady who looked traumatized, right? And he angrily pushes her back into the car and sits down in the car and says, all she did was whine and bitch about how she's carrying and how she's pregnant and I couldn't get, I couldn't get it up. 
Okay. So it's just like, what? So he starts telling Charlene to drive and said that, don't worry, I'm going to put both of you guys out of your misery. So they drive deeper into the wooded area and he drags her out. And when they go home, he starts telling Charlene about how he beat her with a rock and strangled her. He killed her? Yeah. Now, the police, when she was reported missing, Rick, who is the boyfriend and baby daddy of Linda Aguilar, you know, like I said, they weren't really getting along. He was the main suspect. All of their friends, all of their family said that he was weird. He would be really violent at times. He was, and I quote, um, constantly used her as a punching bag. And yeah, it was just really bad. And then finally, a couple weeks later, German tourists found the remains of Linda. Actually, the couple's dog found them her first. Uh-huh. in the woods and she had a fractured skull blunt force trauma she had sand in her mouth lungs and throat which would tell people that she was buried alive oh my god so she was knocked out and then buried and then suffocated with the sand oh my god yeah now again rick was still the primary suspect because even before her body was found he dipped he left for california which again is a huge red flag he had failed a lie detector test the friends testified against him about his violent tendencies his possible forcing linda into group sex and orgies and a lot of um just a lot of bad things about that couple right and then the witness they were like wait i remember seeing a pregnant lady walking a couple weeks ago but they didn't remember much so they had to go undergo hypnosis and that's when like while they were being hypnotized they were like i remember seeing some muscular dude a tiny woman i think it was like a yellow van right so the police then focused their entire energy on a yellow van when in reality it was a white off-white van Mm. so that was just really bad and that's when their relationship started getting weird again right Mm-hmm. So they start both abusing alcohol and drugs a lot. They were barely staying together. Neither of them cared about the baby's health, not even Charlene. And they decide to go fishing for Gerald's 34th birthday. After they go fishing in in California, they stop by this bar. And the bartender, her name was Virginia Mochel. She was 34 years old and she was really excited that her shift was about to be over when this couple walked in. Mm-hmm. His name was Steven and the woman's name was Charlene. They seemed nice. She served them drinks and she was closing up. She turned on the security and she was excited to go home because she has two kids at home so she's like ah god i can't wait right Mm -hmm. and she gets into a car when she hears a knock Mm -hmm. and she looks and it's oh it's steven the guy at the bar who's really nice so she rolls down her window and that's when she sees he was pointing a gun at her face now again this was really weird because charlene said this is weird she's 34 she's not young she's not skinny and blonde like me like what's going on like why would you do this and you did this in the parking lot of this you know bar place like this is so dangerous they left virginia's car just at the bar and they took her into the van right Mm -hmm. and so they started driving back home and so charlene's driving and she's begging her like please don't do this to me in our own home like please don't do this to me in our own home and he says fine then you go into the house and i'll just assault her in the van what the fuck and so she goes into the house and starts watching tv She's like, oh, like, I just need to distract myself while my husband is assaulting this woman downstairs. So she starts watching TV. She's about to fall asleep when all of a sudden he's like, here, let's go back into the van. So she goes into the van. They start driving away. And this time he hops into the back seat and he strangles her to death, Virginia, with her bare ha- his bare hands. 
And she was dragged out of the van, completely nude, hands tied behind her back, and they just like dumped her body. And they returned back to the apartment. Now, Virginia was reported missing. Her car was still in the parking lot with her window rolled down with everyone said you know this is crazy because she actually that was a rule that she had with a lot of patrons hitting on bartenders Mm -hmm. she never rolled down her windows in the parking lot ever because she was also very careful on her drive home from the bar because she didn't want any like patrons to follow her because she would get hit on a lot by these customers and so she had this rule that she would never do something like that which is like crazy like I feel so bad for her, right? right? And she would never do that unless she was driving, but her window was rolled down when they found her car. And the babysitter said this was super unusual because she never really like went home with any of the patrons, but also she would always call and she was, you know, a really attentive mother. This didn't make any sense. Yeah. So they searched for her body everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the patrons who were at the bar that day, they were saying, you know, I remember, the, I guess maybe the person that was the most interested in her was maybe a guy by the name of Steven and a woman named Charlene. It's that ballsy, huh? People see them all the time. Yeah. And so the police talked to both Stephen and Charlene. Now, Stephen was just like, oh, I can't really tell you much. Like, we were just so wasted. We went to the bar, had some drinks, came home. That was about it. And Charlene said the same exact thing. So their stories matched up. Except she said that they went to the bar after they went fishing. Now, this, again, is really not that big of a deal because close to the bar was like a very popular fishing destination. And so the police had just jotted it down and walked away. Mm -hmm. Now, they started start searching and searching and searching and they could not find her for the longest time Mm -hmm. until weeks maybe months later they found her right outside the informal boundary of the search so the search party was like this is our little boundary this is where we're going to search and she was literally right outside that informal boundary right found in a river and her hands were tied with fishing wire oh my god now the decomp on her body was so bad that they had no idea how she died they didn't know if she was strangled they did they just didn't know now the fishing wire did stand out to the police department so they go through all of their notes again and that's when they're like this couple that happened to be at the bar mentioned that they went fishing prior now they Mm -hmm. call charlene again and charlene was incredibly charming she was very sweet educated eloquent and they just didn't have any solid evidence you know against the couple Mm. and charlene was nice it didn't make sense right Mm -hmm. so they just kind of stopped it there now charlene and gerald their relationship during this time was becoming more unhinged she had actually moved back in with her parents heavily pregnant and Mm -hmm. he was seeing somebody else and that's when all of a sudden he decides to come over to her parents house and is like hey listen i just want to take you out on a dinner and a movie i love you and so she gets into the car and right as she gets into the car before dinner and a movie he's like oh i just want to get back with you because i need more sex slaves And so she was like, okay. So they drive to a popular shopping center and they see this college couple, like a couple, not just two girls, two student couples, right? Mm -hmm. And he immediately just pulls out the gun and forces them into the van now Uh as this is happening the two are seen getting into the van but like nobody saw that someone was pointing a gun at them but one of their fraternity brothers had seen his friend his frat brother get into a random van and remembered the license plate what so he's just like that's weird like i don't know why he's getting into that van and he was like just in case i'm just gonna remember the license plate right 
So you remember the license plate, and they start driving away. Now they drive into like an isolated area. Craig, the boyfriend, he gets pulled out of the van, shot three times in the head, and then just left there. Like there was no shallow grave, there was nothing. He wasn't even the body wasn't even attempted to be hid, right? And Mary Beth, the girlfriend, she was taken to the couple's apartment, taken into the bedroom to be assaulted for hours while Charlene was just watching TV right outside the bedroom door. And so they go and dispose of the body. The next morning, after they clean the apartment, dispose of Mary Beth's body, they go back to her parents' place and the police were there. So the police start questioning them about the night before. And she was like, oh, I don't remember. Like, I was so drunk. Like, we had taken out um, Wait, were our police there for? Because the license plate led to this address. So the friend already reported it? Yeah. In a day? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, because they couldn't get in contact with them. Oh. Yeah, so they were reported. Um, well, the friend didn't report it. They actually found Craig's body and then the friend, you know. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were questioned and they were like, no, we were so drunk together. And we actually took out the sedan, like their parents' car, right? Mm-hmm. And the parents were like, no, you took the van. And so that's right the in front of the like, cop. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so they were like, interesting. So then they let the couple go and they immediately go to Craig's body because they did not hide Craig's body. So they were like, we need to bury him. But Craig's body was gone. Oh, shit. So that's when they decided to go on the run. So they drove from Sacramento to Reno, Nevada. From there, they ditched the cars and they boarded a bus to Salt Lake City. Now, during this time, Charlene's parents were being questioned by the police and they revealed the identity of Stephen Feel Feel as Gerald Galago. And they realized that this dude has a rap sheet that could just wrap around the whole police department and he has an arrest warrant for incest, sodomy, and oral copulation, right? Forcing his daughter to do things. I mean, this is crazy. So then the hunt was on. So Charlene called her parents from Salt Lake City and they wired her money. And then they went to Denver this with that money. This family is really a fucking joke. Yeah. I can't. And then they went to Denver with that money. Then they went to Omaha, Nebraska. And that's where she called her parents again to wire her more money. But I guess this time the parents were like, oh, like we should have a conscience. So they called the FBI and told them that they were in Omaha, Nebraska. And the couple were picked up by Nebraska PD without a struggle. They didn't try to fight or anything. They were just traced and picked up. Now, Charlene's deal, she immediately was like, I'm trying to make a deal, dude. (laughs) She said that she would plead guilty for Craig and Mary Beth's murder in exchange that she would testify against her husband, Mm -hmm. Gerald, if she was given a sentence of 16 years and eight months. She she struck the same deal with Nevada, and this was to be served um, concurrently. So just 16 years and eight months, really. Oregon decided to let the other two states bear the expenses because all of these crimes happened. And Oregon was a pregnant lady, right? And then you've got a lot of crimes in Nevada. You've got Sacramento. But you also have crimes where they disposed of the body in Nevada when they were, you know, murdered in, right? So it's kind of complex. Mm-hmm. So Oregon was just like, I mean, it seems like these two states are just going to pay the taxpayer money for it. Thank you. And the first trial was to happen in California. And Gerald was like, I'm going to be my own attorney. And he that's when he cross examined Charlene for six days, just like trying to discredit Charlene because she was technically the main witness. Right. Yeah. She was the star witness. And he would say things like he would he made her admit to having a lesbian affair. And I was like, ah, look at that, Jerry. Do you see that? How can you how can you say she's credible? <laughs> and um, during this time, there was a shortage of funds. 
So the public actually ended up having to raise $28,000 to help prosecute Gerald. So, I mean, I don't know what happened there, right? What? Yeah, yeah. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, Gerald looked at the jury and he said so convincingly, he said, you know, you have to believe me. And if you don't, believe me on faith, if nothing else. And everyone's like, what? And he even said, you know, yeah, I, I did take a, a legal licking, you know, but that's it. A legal what? illegal licking i don't know what that means honestly and so they were just like that's really not that convincing so they said nope and they you know charged him guilty and he was sentenced to death in california wow and then his second trial happened in nevada and it took the jury about two and a half hours to say that he was guilty so he was one of the very few criminals to be on death row in two different states now gerald appealed his sentence in nevada and guess what the reason for his appeal was what so narcissistic he said he was it was unfair and unconstitutional that he couldn't represent himself if he had represented himself in nevada the results would be different all right so we'll talk about that after your sentence (laughs) after you uh die in california thank you and so charlene was released from prison in 1997 she took back her maiden name of williams she actually gave birth to a son in prison and she gave that son to her mom mercedes to raise now this is where it gets crazy charlene said in an interview Mm -hmm. there were victims who died and there were victims who lived it's taken me a hell of a long time to realize that i'm one of those that lived oh my god and she said i tried to save their lives (laughs) and as of 2014 she lives in sacramento and i will be honest with you nobody fucking thinks she's a victim only you, Charlene. Only you and your little privileged ass, okay? And Gerald, um, ironically, died of rectal cancer. Wait, what happened to the death sentence? Oh, he died before. He was awaiting his sentence. Oh. In 2002, he died at the age of 56 of rectal cancer. Huh. Yeah, he made no final statements and he had no visitors. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Very weird case, you know? I mean, I don't know. This one's weird. I guess it could definitely be a lack of information. Where I got most of this information was a book. And, you know, a lot of the times there was this book called The Sex Slave Murders. Mm. You know, a lot of the times when you have cases like this, when you have serial killers, you've got just a plethora of resources. You've got documentaries, you've got interviews, you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, YouTube videos, you've got everything. The articles, Mm -hmm. Reddit threads. But for some reason, they're just not that talked about. So I had to get a lot of my information from a book and a lot of articles and a lot of Reddit threads that I dug through Mm -hmm. and not of a lot of them do deep dives it's just kind of like a surface level of like can you believe it so i don't know if it's a lack of information out there or or maybe just a surplus of information or just a difference but it seems a little different from like ian brady and myra henley which we recently talked about where in that situation it seems like myra was physically assaulted a lot mm-hmm. you know but this one seems weird this one just seems like too just yeah yeah. Yeah. The woman's mental state is really concerning. Yeah. The whole time I was researching, I just was screaming at her, like, read the fucking room. Like, no one is, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, people are getting murdered and assaulted, and you're just like, 
is this my punishment for getting pregnant? I'm like, read the room, lady. Read the fucking room. So <laughs> that those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts on Gerald and Charlene Galago? They are known as some of the worst couple in history. I don't know what to say. You know, in this situation, what disturbs you more? A woman like Charlene or someone like Janice? And does it does it mean anything that they testified against their significant other? Or do you just see it as saving their own skin? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Rotten Mango. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.